Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive. So get involved. Get involved. So I am super excited. i got Mitch with me, got Rev with me. Rev, how you doing? Very good, thanks. Good to be on. Brilliant. And if it's your first time to the pod, um, I'm Ando. Hi, super nice to meet you. We are excited and we're excited because there is a Wallabies series win that we get to talk up and just enjoy for a few weeks until we get spanked by New Zealand in our first rugby championship game. But either way, let's live in the moment right here, right now. We've got a lot to go through this evening, but before I tell you what we're doing, Mitch, can you please take us through our socials? All right. We're on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page. And we're also on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Brilliant. Hit us up on there. We've had heaps of traction on Twitter recently, mostly because we keep putting out angry posts in the moment Mm -hmm. and (laughs) it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, Angry but positive, I guess some would say. I don't know. I don't know if you can have Realist. that. Uh, realistic. Yeah, realistic. realistic. <laughs> Maybe. Yep. Um, either way, this evening, we're going to be tracking through just a little bit of the spicy news in terms of international results because we've barely talked about that over the last few weeks. Uh, we, uh, we've we been so preoccupied with the um, live stream series that we were doing with Benny Alexander. Thank you to everybody who tuned in and participated and knows that we haven't had a chance to chat about anything else. So we'll quickly run through some of the internationals. We're going to go through the Wallabies series review. And as we're doing that, we'll be integrating the locker room questions and comments that have come flooding in into it. So basically, we're going to jump into the spicy news. Why don't we go? Let's go. Let's go. Okay, time to talk some spicy news now. And what we're going to do is go through and wrap up some of the games that have happened in the last few weeks. As Ando mentioned in the intro, We've been doing our live streams for the last sort of week and a half. So we've been focusing very much on the Wallabies and what's happening in Australian rugby. But there's been some pretty big results coming out around the world as well. So we'll talk about those. And the first one we want to talk about is the Rugby World Cup 2023 qualifying game between Tonga and Samoa. So they played two tests uh, after Tonga was absolutely pumped by New Zealand. They played a game. um, Tonga hosted the first one and Samoa... Hosted the no Samoa hosted the first one. Tonga hosted the second one. Um, the first result saw T- Samoa coming away forty two thirteen victors over over Tonga, um, and the second result saw Samoa thirty seven fifteen to Tonga. So the reason we're talking about these is Samoa has now qualified for the twenty twenty three World Cup. Um, I actually am not too sure. I might throw this to you, Rev. Does that mean that Tonga aren't in the World Cup at all, or do they have another competition they have to go through to qualify? Yep. Yeah, they now um, go to the Asia and Oceanic uh, branch of game, so they're most likely going to come up against um, some teams like Hong Kong um, and a few others that will be floating around that sort of level. So they're still expected to make the Rugby World Cup. Um, I think the same thing happened in 2019 where they had to um, qualify the same way. They just have to go the long way around now, play a few yeah. extra games. Which isn't a bad thing, really. I mean, a few extra games is probably good to get some minutes in the legs. So, um, yeah, plenty of excitement for them. Um, and also, just it's interesting. I, I noticed they've got the home and away as Samoa and Tonga hosting, but all the games are in New <laughs> yeah. Zealand. Yep. It's part of a 
sort of Pacifica round sort of thing. So it was a really nice incentive to try and um, get, you know, people involved in the games and a lot of New Zealand fans engaged, but also kind of interesting that they're not held in those countries and whether it's just financially it's hard to do or a lot of those players are playing in New Zealand. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting. I think there was also an issue with... Um with uh transportation stuff like that over international boundaries mm-hmm. so the need to go into quarantine when heading to different places um getting everybody to come to the one country new zealand and having all the matches there just from what i understand made sense from a logistics point of view but it also does bring up some of the um inequalities within pacifica rugby in that from what i understand tonga had to pay for their own quarantine period and um, i'm not sure if that's the case for samoa as well but it just shows the the lengths to which some of these players are having to um, go to to even compete in international rugby like fork out of their own pocket to pay for accommodation costs when you're playing for your country it's just incredible so um there's i mean a whole other storyline there that we don't really have time to go into tonight um nor am i well versed enough in it but yeah mm. there's, there's a lot going on beneath the surface and if anyone hasn't seen either of those games what i would encourage you to do is go and watch the their war dances before the games which were phenomenal were really cool because what's a little bit different we get used to new zealand and their hucker and i think because they're one of the better the, the best team arguably in the world at the moment, they get this kind of respect where they get to perform their haka by themselves. But both of these teams, both Tonga and Samoa, were doing their war dances at the same time. So it was kind of like a call response. And it was great to get the angles that would come in and focus on certain players like Michael Alatoa and and some of the Tongan guys. And you can really see the emotion, but when they pan out wide, they're both going at each other at the same time, which was really cool to see. So if you can, try and find that on social media because it was really moving. Uh, We'll move across to New Zealand. So New Zealand played two tests against Fiji. Um, I guess we'd call them warm-up tests for the rugby championships. Um, uh, The results were pretty much speak for themselves. So the first first result saw New Zealand come away 57-23 over Fiji in Dunedin. Interesting one around that game was that Aaron Smith was captained New Zealand for the first time. So it was great to see him uh, get the opportunity to captain his country. And then this weekend, New Zealand ran out 60-13 victors over New Zealand in Hamilton, uh, over Fiji, sorry, in Hamilton. Did anyone have anything they wanted to say, particularly around either of these games? Not overly. I, I just thought it was a good opportunity to test some of the depth. Um, I think New Zealand probably did a really good job of um, trialing a few different combinations. Their back row and centre combination in particular they're still trying to work on. Uh, even their outside backs, they only brought in one left winger, so getting Sever Reese on there. Um, trialing that out and they've got sort of four fullbacks in the squad in the case of um, Bowden and Geordie Barrett, Will Jordan and Damien McKenzie. So they're really spoilt for choices. I think those two Fiji games probably just helped identify maybe a bit of a um, hierarchy or order as to how they're ranking at the moment. And if you come away just looking at the results completely and the score lines, and you didn't get to watch these games, but you probably imagine it to be quite one-sided uh, against Fiji, New Zealand just scoring points all the time. But when you actually watch the games, it's not like that at all. And Fiji were very competitive in these games. It only got as sort of is typical for a Fijian side. It was only in that last kind of 15, 20 minutes when New Zealand was able to put the foot on the throat and step away and score a few tries. In the first game, Dan, <clears throat> Dan Coles came on and scored four tries in 20 minutes or something. So, you know, before that, they were a lot closer 
Um, but one thing that is really excited a lot of people around the world is just the fight that Fiji have and the raw talent that these players have. And there's a lot of talk now, um, which we'll move into. Actually, before we get into that little bit, um, Wales also played Argentina in two tests, and we just want to talk about them because they're included in the rugby championships for this year. So the first test this weekend, um, Argentina came away 33-11 victors over Wales, which was great to see, and played in Cardiff. And last week, uh, it was a 20-all draw between Wales and Argentina. So it was good to see a pretty full-strength Argentinian side go up against a fairly understrength Welsh side due to the British and Irish Lions. But um, very good to see Argentina get a run and to come away with the, the victory this week. Yeah, I actually watched the um, the draw, the 20-all draw, uh, in full the night that it was on. And it was it was a really good game. Uh, and it was good because there was uh, it was a fantastic opportunity for Argentina to go up against a Tier 1 team that was a bit under strength. And uh, for them to just continue to cement the quality of their team. It was interesting seeing Miotti on the bench as well from uh, the Western Forces, obviously flown over and has been in training camp with Argentina and for Cubelli. a while now. And Cubelli as well. Yeah, Cubelli was starting. Um, and I, look, I don't think we can read too much into these results um, insofar as the Welsh team had hardly any of their quality players because they're almost all uh, with the British and Irish Lions at the moment. Um, plus I had Lee Halfpenny get injured in first in a trial game or just prior to um, this this two-match series. And so he he's unavailable. And I think he did his MCL or something like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it was, it was a great game to watch. And Argentina played fairly well, came back in and kind of stole the draw at the end of the first match that I watched. Um, but I don't think we want to read too much into it moving forward. Well, but it was a good performance from Argentina being a full-strength yeah, side, yeah. so good to see them actually being able to take that lead in the second test and really run away with it. But the reason I wanted to bring up these results and talk about it is something that's been around social media that's been thrown around a lot this last week or so, particularly with the test against Fiji. Um, people are calling for an expanded rugby championship to be formed it's probably a little bit too late for 2021, but definitely by 2022, we want they want to see an expanded to a six-team competition to bring in Fiji and Japan into an expanded rugby championship. Now, what, what's everyone's thoughts around this? Rev, you go first. I'm really for this idea just because I think um, Fiji just offers such an exciting brand of rugby and both them and Japan are in a really, um, I think, really ideal time zone for us. Japan obviously brings a lot of money as well and their side's really competitive to the point that I think they probably should be getting more game time against the tier one nations just so that they are um, week in, week out getting you know, players exposed to that as opposed to having to build up um, for World Cup cycles. So I'd be really interested to see how that goes, um, especially I do like the idea of having both of them added. I think having six teams, just having that even amount so you've got um, you know everyone playing on a given weekend would be good to see. At the moment, though, so much hinges on just their access to players. I think... Um, if you had Japan and Fiji in here full strength, that's perfect. If you had even three or four key players from each side missing because of, you know, uh, top 14 or whatever it was, um, they'd really struggle, especially against South Africa and New Zealand. So I think that's um, something that I'd really have to try and figure out is what does a world uh, calendar look like for rugby and how do we fit them in there just so that, you know, they're getting the same amount of time as the Six Nations sides and the rugby championship sides. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think, um, yep, you go, you go Andrew. Okay. Um, I'm having a look at the 
So the top 14 starts in September. And unfortunately, that's when the rugby championships is kicking off. Um, so a bunch of the Fijian players would likely be um, playing for the top 14 clubs or would need dispensation to be able to play, which I'm not sure would be able to happen. Um, and so, because it's not the rugby championships over such a long period of time that it doesn't fall in into an international window. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, look, that in in principle, I love the idea. I really think an expanded um, an expanded competition would be really good from a marketing point of view as well, uh, broadcasting broadcaster money point of view. Also, it may well keep South Africa in the rugby championship, and that's commercially really beneficial as well. Uh, I don't believe the hype that they're going to get into the Six Nations. I think that the veto powers of nations like Scotland and Wales and Italy will keep them out. Um, but yeah, I, I think if we expand the rugby championship, that gives a greater reasoning for South Africa to be staying in. It provides Australia with more competition. That's not just freaking against um, South Africa and New Zealand, but other people that we can build our depth with compete with. And sure. I'm not claiming that we're going to smash Fiji and Japan every single time. I think far from it actually, but the more games that we're playing against, teams which are going to give us a run for our money but we should realistically be able to beat as well I think is beneficial considering the youth of our squad moving forward over the next couple of years I think world rugby really needs to get behind this and really uh, support Fiji and Japan financially if that if that is one of the reasons they may not be able to contribute to joining the rugby championship because if we look at uh, the growth that Argentina has gone through from being involved in the champs for how five, six years now. They beat the All Blacks for the first time last year. Now, if you look at the Fiji side that went up against the All Blacks this weekend, they've got a lot of firepower there. They've got a, raw, a lot of raw talent, but they don't have the game time together, the cohesion, which is the buzzword at the moment, to really be able to prepare for a proper series against New Zealand. Now, if we bring them into the Rugby Championship, and same with Japan, they pushed the British and Irish Lions um, a few weeks ago quite far as well. But if we bring a, a team, both of these teams in, get them some good development, some good time together and consistently year-on-year -year games against these top nations, they're going to be a lot more competitive. And, and in a few years' time, they could be really pushing um, the, top, the top nations. So it, it doesn't make any sense to me why we wouldn't include them from a world rugby perspective. The, there's no alternative for them. They're not involved in any other competition. Uh, and they're up and up rising teams that we really need to get behind and push. I also think that the inclusion of the Fiji and Drua in Super Rugby from next year, which is still to be officially ticked off, but is most likely going to happen, will potentially be able to secure some of the players back to Fiji to play full time. That may we they won't be able to compete financially with some of the European teams, but it will give the Fijian talent time to develop as a team. And if we look at like the the Haguaris did with Argentina, the bulk of that team went on. It basically was the same team that played in Super Rugby that moved straight into the Rugby Champs. So if we get a similar competition happening like that, it's going to be awesome. Yep. Anyone have anything else they want to say around that? No, I want to get to Wallabies game. Let's keep going. <laughs> All right, so the British and Irish Lions have been going ahead over in South Africa. Um, we'll, we'll go quickly through the results. So the first game, they played against the Sharks, 31-71 to the British and Irish Lions. Then they played against the Sharks a second time. Uh, actually, no, so the first game they played against the Sharks, they played them twice now due to COVID. The, the games got muddled around. The first game was a 54-7 to victory to the British and Irish Lions. The second game 
was a 31-71 victory to the British and Irish Lions. They have since played the Stormers this weekend and they came away 49-3 to victors and they played South Africa A or basically South Africa um, and South Africa won that game 17-13. So some interesting results there. Um, you probably watched a little bit more than us, Rev. Did you have anything you wanted to say around this? Um, yeah, a few of the fixtures stood out. Just the 71-31 against the Sharks for that second game. It was interesting because it was tied up at 26 all at half time, and it wasn't until Jaden Hendricks of the Sharks halfback got a red card that it sort of changed a bit. So there was a strong showing from that team. Um, and obviously, as you mentioned, the South Africa A that was pretty much a close to a full-strength box side other than the players that have COVID. And it'll be interesting <laughs> to see if um, the players that are still in that COVID quarantine sort of mm. bubble, like Khaleesi and Pollard, like quite a few big names, the if they're not available, the team they named for the first test could be quite similar to that. Yeah. I just want to point out the other game, which was um, South Africa A versus the Bulls. So South Africa also named what was realistically an A side uh, to play the Bulls because they were both quarantined in Cape Town at the time. And that side lost to the Bulls 17-14. Uh, so that was a lot of the fringe players that might get maybe a call up on the bench um, for the test side. And for them to lose to one of the club sides in South Africa is a little bit of a concern. Um, I think they're now a little bit concerned about how many of their players they can keep healthy because if they have to call upon these guys that weren't at the World Cup, they will be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And we still really don't know if the series, the, the actual test series itself will be able to get underway because COVID, every day it seems that there's more numbers popping up in either camp and changes are having to be made and fixtures are getting swapped around. So it's a very unusual series. And also playing the games behind closed door just has this closed doors has this really eerie effect. Um, and when you watch it, it just doesn't feel like a proper British and Irish Lions series with the fans not there. Which is yeah, a shame. it will be quite odd. I, I'm hoping that they move all three tests to the one location. I think there was quite a bit of chat about um, it was originally supposed to fluctuate between uh, Johannesburg and Cape Town. I think if they keep them all in Cape Town, uh, just play all three of them at the uh, new Cape Town Stadium, then that's probably going to be the best outcome for them. But again, if they've already got COVID and they're in the bubbles, then it's, you know, seems quite dire. Mm. Well, hopefully, hopefully we get some tests because everyone is looking forward to seeing what actually happens. That that South Africa A side actually threw some questions out at the lines, and so it was interesting yeah. that they did come away with that victory there. But um, I think that's all we've got really for the news section. Should we dive into the Wallabies review? Yes, let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, three matches. 11 days, three points separating these two teams. And the Wallabies have come away series victors. And how good is that sweet feeling of success? I wonder how much Cadbury's chocolate the Wallaby downed <laughs> after that victory. I think uh, it'd be more stone and wood beers, wouldn't it? Oh, how good. How good. Um, maybe we should look to getting stone and wood as like a sponsor like that. How good would that be? Let's oh, I'd love it. Up. Yeah. I, I've literally had a stone throw around right for the boys. That'd be great. Anyway, anyway, on to the Wallabies chat. Um, Mate, Rev, we, we won the whole series by three points overall. Now, there are a lot of people deriding this French team as like a French B. What do you say to that, that the idea is that we, we just scraped through beating an under French team? Yeah, I'm really not on board with that, I don't think. I, I was really stoked at the end of that game because I think um, we'll get to the, some of the big talking points, but it seemed like that was going to be a really hard match to win at the end. And I think any of those games could have gone either way, including the last one. But just that sense of relief, I don't really believe in the notion that, you know, 
we shouldn't feel excited because it was a weaker team. We had a weaker team. You know, we're missing James O'Connor and Nick White, who'd be starting for us. Pataya, Vunavalu, Parisi, they're our attacking threats in the back line. So I think there was plenty of players on both sides that you could argue. And France have more out, but that's still a really experienced side um, in terms of the amount of uh, pro rugby they've played in the top 14 and the pro de tour. So I was just stoked that they won it. And I think this is such a you know massive shift for this side. This is going to be one of those moments, one of those games and series that just categorizes this team as, hey, we can do this. Uh, let's build from it. Completely agree. And I think that we really need to just start with the obvious question of what did we think about that red card? Mitch, start us off. Oh, oh man, that it's just, it did my head in just watching it. It just, <laughs> it just felt fond- fundamentally wrong. Sitting at home, I just, they've got this wrong. They've looked at this I- so many <sighs> different ways and they've still, in my opinion, come to the wrong decision. The thing that annoyed me before I let you keep going was the fact that it wasn't even called as a penalty at the time. And it was just big hit, knock on, they're getting set for the knock on. And then they start reviewing. And then it turns into a red card after the ref doesn't even pull it up straight away on the field. So keep going, keep going. Yeah, well, exactly. That's one of the things that unfortunately was a bit of a theme of this game was the French players diving. So Ben O'Keefe was standing right there when the hit was made and he put his arm out for a knock on, which it was, but it was only because the French captain lay on the ground, clutching his face, rolling around that he really, he put blew the whistle and then said, let's look at this because there's some obvious face contact here. So it, it just, it, it's outcome. It felt outcome driven. The fact that the yep. French player was was rolling around and, and acting as if he had his head knocked off. Um, but when you actually look at the, the hit, it's shoulder on shoulder. So uh, there's a really good um, uh, one of the rugby, like it, it's not Rugby Australia, but a Twitter account that chats about rugby in Australia put out quite a detailed slow-mo video going through it frame by frame from different angles and talking through where the points of contact were. Um, and looking at it on review, uh, it does slide up his head uh, Jelonja's head, Jelonja's head does kind of snap forward, indicating that it wasn't shoulder to head contact. Otherwise, his head would have gone back, which was what Dave Rennie was saying in the post-match presser. Um, but to me, once they'd slowed it down, looked at it from various angles, it I, I, I'm not seeing how it's a, more than a yellow. And even then, like, I could understand if it wasn't given a yellow as well. I know we tweeted that it shouldn't have been anything, but that was like 30 seconds after the... That's just pure anger. Given. That was pure, pure rage. anger. Um, that was rage. Like, Rev, what's your... How did... How, now that it's 24 hours later, how are you feeling about that red card? Was it deserved? Was did the right process happen? I think at the time, um, the group of mates were with, we were also saying... Oh, yeah, like it does make contact with the head, but like there's enough mitigation. Like clearly, Jones is uh, taller. He's, you know, um, bending into contact. And as Corbett is, you know, quite bent over making the tackle. So to me, there was enough to make it a yellow. Um, the people that are saying it's a red card, I'm not saying they're outright wrong. I think there's probably. I am. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> I, no, because I, I, I think based off Super Rugby AU, I think there were a few similar tackles called for that. Like I remember Al Latoa's tackle. Yeah. It yeah. seemed a little bit similar. Uh, Pony Farmer Sulis is probably a little bit high, but you know, again, like a lot of those sort of calls were made. My concern is that um, throughout Super Rugby Trans Tasman and Super Rugby Aotearoa, New Zealand refs weren't calling those as red cards. There was only one red card in the whole of Super Rugby Aotearoa, and it was a really reckless um, play from Alex Hodgman, one of the props. There were so many tackles that got by like that, and even in the week before, we saw um, Lavani Bottia smash Damian McKenzie with a tackle that was yeah, three that was inches huge. higher than that. Yeah, Huge. it was a massive shot, but instead we're playing that on Twitter highlights as, oh, massive shot takes down All Black. Like, it's a real sort of triumphant approach. There's no red card. There's no yellow card. I don't 
I don't recall. I don't think there was even a penalty for it. And yet no, we see this tackle. There. Yeah. And, and yet we're seeing this. So my concern isn't about the call because I think there's so much gray area in there that I do expect there to be, um, you know, slight differences of opinions. But I just want consistency. Ben O'Keefe hasn't given that a red in all the games he's refereed this year. So I don't know why that changed in this match. I will say one thing on that point, Rev. Um, there is this different um, high tackle guideline or framework for international tests than there are for super rugby. Um, I, I was doing some research online and some of the groups I'm in, there is actually a different framework from world rugby for international tests. And it doesn't have as much emphasis on point of contact and... Right. Um, yeah, the mitigation factor isn't as heavily influenced in that one as is in the framework for Super Rugby and Super Rugby AU. So when everyone is sitting and saying there's no mitigation, they haven't mitigated it down, it's because that framework doesn't rely as heavily on that. The the point that they were focused on and in that framework is the fact that Corabetti ran in from distance and did make contact high. Mm. And for them, yeah. that was the highest level that they, they sat on. The, the thing that I felt... Uh, ben O'Keefe backed himself into a corner was when he was explaining the decision to Michael Hooper and Hooper challenged it and said, well, what about the the drop in body height? And he said, there was no significant drop in body height, which is actually just wrong, which it's is yeah, correct. Fundamentally wrong. Clear yep. drop in body height. Um, I, I'm sitting here as a Wallabies fan. I don't want to see Corabetti get that red card. I think at best it was should have been a yellow card or even a penalty. Mm. Because, but we can't we can't take away from the fact that he did actually hit him high. He did also drive up into the contact. So when he's approaching the the number eight, he's sort of looking at his legs, and then he sort of stands a little bit and rises into the contact, which then ends up hitting him on the shoulder and rising up into his face. So it's a really good um, it's a really good comment that's come in from Ian Roger on Twitter asking, did the red card give Lolasiu the chance to step up and prove he can be the long term ten for the Wallabies? And we might speak about Lolasiu's performance in a moment, but what I do think the red card did was it galvanized the team. There was probably about a five, maybe 10 minute period afterwards where the team were just shell-shocked, where they were making a few basic mistakes. Um, Kuyu's fantastic try three minutes afterwards where the Teddy Toma chipped down the side and popped back into Kuyu. That was just incredible. How fast is Teddy Toma, by the way? Like. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's not incredibly insightful and anybody who's watched him in the Six Nations knows that, but damn, it's different seeing it against your team. Um, and I am of the opinion that the red card actually brought a level of um, a level of uh, anger, a level of frustration, a level of where our back is to the wall, we're going to prove them. And I think it, yeah, really did galvanize the team. But why don't we shift across? Actually, can I just say on one, that point as well? One other thing, I a big factor in the reason that the Wallabies won this game was because the test was played at Suncorp. And I think yeah. yep. Suncorp at the moment is the best venue for Australian rugby in mm -hmm. Australia. Mm -hmm. The fans are so engaged with the Wallabies at the moment. When that, that red card was given, it wasn't just the Wallabies, the players that were galvanized. It was the fans as well. The mm. whole crowd went off. They were all on their feet. They were screaming at the ref. They were going absolutely bonkers. And I think that's what also, that got them engaged in the match. That made it personal for them as well because they felt like they were bleeding like the Wallabies. So if that was played at the SCG, I don't think we probably, we may, may not have come through with the victory because they didn't have that atmosphere that Suncorp provided. Yep. A um, couple of other comments that have come in. Douglas Gardner, thank you so much. Surely you have to start with that red card. The Kiwi refs have abandoned the war book and made up their own laws this year around head contact. It's an absolute blight on the game. See my t previous Twitter comments for my angry, angry version and angry opinions. <laughs> um, Sheepy, 
puts in how can one drop a good 50 centimeters or more specifically to the height of an incoming tackler and there still be no mitigating factors that is a fantastic question that my hooper asked and got a substandard answer sheepy also asked who dives better the italian soccer team or the french rugby team definitely the italian soccer team because it won them the game whereas this did not win them the game sucked in the monkey um <laughs> so <laughs> i have such no, disdain that's, that's for the french yeah. <laughs> So I, can, just, I, I can feel it's, it. It's coming through. Yeah. yeah I uh, study way too much European history to respect the French history. Um, <laughs> okay. They seriously lose nearly every camping war that is so. Anyway, for another time. Um, what I want us to move to now is Lola see. So speaking to that uh, comment that came in from Ian Roger, was this a bit of a standout game for Noah? How did we think that he went? And when James O'Connor gets fit again for Bledisloe 1, what, what's going to happen there with a number 10 jersey? Rev, I might get you to start. Well, I mean, if there's a chance to put a Reds player in the team, you do it. It's as simple <laughs> as that. So yeah. um, look, realistically... I thought before the series that O'Connor would start test one and two and would see Lalesio maybe get a few more minutes in the second. And I was hoping he might get 100 minutes throughout, something like that, um, to develop himself. But he played all 240 minutes. Only three other players did that for Australia. And he was a standout um, across all of it. He was so pivotal to that game. His kicking has been uh, nearly perfect, as I'm sure we'll get to. Um, he scored really a pivotal try with that intercept. He set up that first try so perfectly. That's exactly what you'd expect a seasoned campaigner to do, even some of like a Richie Mwanga, Andre Pollard uh, sort of quality, to find Hooper so perfectly with that line. Um, I just think he connected really well. And the combination, we were so concerned, I think, about a tate uh, Lalesio combination because they're both so young and inexperienced. How good did they look together? Like they just yeah, linked no, up right. perfectly. So yeah. I I think he had... Did oh, they play, I mean, sorry, did they play together in the under-20s, Tate and... They did for a bit, but Lolasio wasn't the um, 10. He was 12. He, he was, was 12. Harrison. Yeah. So I yeah, think so... we need to bring Harrison in for Bledisloe 1. Wow. <laughs> 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 I like it. I was in a team, the better. Um, <laughs> but that actually leads us really well into kind of just picking out some more of the Wallabies players that really stood out. And I just want to quickly highlight that whilst Tate McDermott was good, um, I'm pretty keen to see um, Jake Gordon step back in the starting non-Jersey for Bledisloe 1. So now that we've said that, really? let's keep going. And Come let's on. talk about other players. Uh, <laughs> No, not at all. Right, um, I thought I thought Tate was fantastic. I thought Tate had a really, really good game. And I I'd said previously on the um, the pick and drive live chats that I was really happy with the impact that our bench was having with players like Tupo and McDermott coming off and having a late kind of 30, 30 minute impacts on the game and being at home strong. And I, I was there's a part of me that firmly believes that Taniela Tupo's role is best coming on in the second half at about yep. the 45th minute like in this game. Fantastic. Do it again. Have Alatoa start and then bring Nella on goes out the game. Awesome. That doesn't take anything away from Nella. It doesn't take anything away from Alan. It simply uses the talents that they have in the best way possible mind. And I thought previously McDermott was kind of in the same vein, which is why I was so much, um, I guess not like a fanboy for Jake Gordon, but I thought that Jake Gordon's poor performances in game one and slightly in game two, even though he did improve a bit, um, meant that maybe he could start again for game three and then bring Tate on earlier to have that late game impact. But he he didn't in inherently prove me wrong because I think Tate's a good player, but he, he had a fantastic match. He 
was I think maybe a beneficiary of the fact that we didn't spread it wide very much. So the weaknesses in his wide passing weren't brought to the fore and it gave him more opportunity for a little bit more sniping around. The... Um, that's enough from me on Tate. Mitch, what do you reckon about that one? Yeah, well, I, think I think you're on the money. Which, which Mitch? <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, Mitch and Rev, nah. Mitch and Rev. <laughs> so we'll go Mitch first. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was. this was a big game for Tate. This was his opportunity to stand up and prove to Rennie and to every, all his doubters that he's Wallaby's, he's the first choice. He's ready for that starting spot. And I don't think he let anyone down. I think his delivery from the base of the ruck was a lot faster than Jake Gordon in the last few weeks. And he just seemed to be able to interplay with his backline a lot better than Jake Gordon did. So um, I, I, would, I, I think he's shown that he needs to start over Gordon. I'm still not sure if I want to be starting him in Bledisloe 1 if Nick White's available. I still think we probably choose Nick White and then bring Tate off the bench 55 minutes along with Taniela Tupo and let those two just go nuts against the All Blacks. Rev? Yeah, I'm 100% behind that. I was just going to add that um, in that game, Tate and Lola Sierra combined for three out of the four line breaks the Wallabies made. So he's such a pivotal attacking weapon. I think he had more defenders beaten than any other Wallaby yep. too. Yep. Um, but the thing that I liked most, um, I do think Nick White's our starter when healthy. Rennie, I think, is still working out the best combination. In 240 minutes, to get both Gordon and Tate to have 100-plus minutes each, I thought was awesome. I thought we got to see a bit of what both of them could offer. I think McDermott showed more. I think yep. um, in the world where White's starting, Tate's my 21 and coming off the bench. But mm. I, I think how good that we got so many minutes into both of them. And that's such a, I think, testament to how Rennie attacked uh, this game. He had 42 players to choose from, but he saw 27 players. Like, these are the guys I want to give minutes to. And we came away with, I think, some pretty good return from that. And how yep. good was it to see his combination with Michael Hooper? He's yeah. taken Michael Hooper's game to another level as well from being able to support those breaks that he makes. Like, Hooper's been doing that consistently for the last few years, but there's never been anyone that's sort of right on his hip to to carry it through. So yep. the fact that, that Tate is seeing that and is con- consistently there is exciting as well. I thought he had a fantastic game and I, I don't think he had many doubters, so he hasn't proved them wrong, but I think he stepped up to the expectation that was put upon him. Uh, I don't think he was our best player. I'd probably be arguing that Hooper was the best player for the Australians that game, um, but he had a very, very, very solid game. And so congrats to him. Um, so Nick Wasiliev, no, I don't think Gordon should actually be the starting <laughs> halfback. Um, and Jason now, Sherman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, baited him in, got him hook, line and group as well um so who else really stood out to you we also had some players like Nasirani and Swinton who were starting after not being involved uh well not starting for the previous two games um and they they had pretty good shifts as well Hockey Swinton played a good game and seemed to be getting over the advantage line for most of the time he and Nasirani had the majority of the runs for the Australian um and whilst Nasirani didn't have any massive breaks I felt like he was also at least putting dents or not getting pushed back um, pass well by the defensive line of the French. Rev, what did you think about their impact? I think the back rowers all really stood up. I, I love the depth we've got that we could rest Valentini and Wilson and bring in Swinton and Nice because they they did a really good job of getting over the advantage line. And I think mm. in every game, um, every back row, yeah, every back row has had more meters and carries, which might not seem like a massive step, but we have fallen into the trap previously where we've had you know a lot of our forwards just not quite. Um, be physical enough in the breakdown we get you know especially against the south africans and argentinians we've actually struggled to get some good meters from pick and drives and uh, from those uh, forward passes but I-, I think these guys really stood up to have that many options to choose from at six and eight is such a blessing at the moment um the only thing i wish was that we 
seen McWright get a crack as well just to build that seven depth. I think the challenge with that is that Hooper is playing so well. He's probably this yeah. giant man of the match for every. Yeah, um, and that's not even like blue tinted glasses on. He's just been that good. Um, has there been a man of the series named? No, I don't think so. But surely just Hooper. It, surely I mean, Hooper. Yeah. There was an argument for Corabetti, I think, before this match. Um, yep. Corabetti's been unreal and so much of the go forward, but Hooper just, he does everything, whether it's attack, defense, rocks, if it's set piece, uh, scoring points, um, setting up tries, like he, he does everything. So to me, I think this might be a fair call. I don't think I'm overstating it. He's the best player in the world ever. Is that, <laughs> is that fair? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty happy yeah. with it. Okay. I'm pretty so, happy with it. Yeah. I, I don't um, want to make any big calls. I just want to keep it. You know. <laughs> One thing we've got to say, though, around Hooper is that the people that were bagging him before, like, it's just been a, an Australian rugby thing to, to poop on Hooper for the last few years. Hooper but- poopers. The Hooper Poopers. They, no one can poop on Hooper now. Yeah. You ca- you just can't. You can't be a rugby Australian rugby fan and think Hooper's not the right person. Yeah. There's no yeah. one else for captain. There's no one else At that's going to put in. Yeah, yeah. Put in that same uh, the same um, shift and have that amount of impact on games. So people just need to really pull their heads in a bit. Yeah, the captaincy question's a good one because I mean you. I agree with both you guys and you know, we can't criticize him in terms of the on the field impact that he's having as a player, but I do question his captaincy decision sometimes, um, particularly last match in the second round, um, second game of the series. I, if, if James O'Connor had been fit and consistently fit for the last month, um, I wouldn't be adverse to him being a captain and Michael Hooper maybe being vice-captain, that wouldn't worry me. I would be quite happy with that because I feel like um, James O'Connor within Super A really stepped up and had some fantastic moments of game management, which is something that Hooper has sometimes lacked for the Wallabies. Uh, But that being said, I don't see any other replacement, particularly when Nick White is as well. Um, Yeah. So um, I don't see who else you'd replace him. My only question around that is, and I think Rennie's looking to the 2023 World Cup. And I don't necessarily know at this point if James O'Connor is going to make it. He may not. He's signed on to make it. He signed on to play in Australia until then. And his goal is to get there. But I, with the injuries that he's had this year and the fact that he hasn't actually played Wallabies yet, if this continues going through, and he pl- didn't play the, the second half of Trans-Tasman either, if he picks up a few injuries going through, he may not be our first choice number 10 come 2023. But mm. I don't see anyone pushing Hooper out of that seven position. So Hooper will be starting for the Wallabies in 2023 in France. And so I think Dave Rennie knows that Hooper's going to be there. He'll pick him as captain and he'll build his team around him because he knows he's consistent in that and he can build that leadership going through to 2023. If we change that leadership now and bring in another person, they may not be there for 2023 unless we're going to pick someone like Noel Alessio or Harry Wilson, which we're just point. not going to do at this stage. No. Okay, so let's now go into the point where we're going to pick our um, I just wanted to say row. one other thing before, as a, in an honourable mention. I thought yep. I thought Reese Hodge did quite well when he came on, considering yeah. he hasn't played a whole lot of rugby. I really liked his presence through the kick, the box kick, the kick chase. He put a lot of pressure on the French back three and he turned over a fair few balls because he was consistently in their face as they were taking that high ball. Uh, and I think that's something we lacked in the first two tests. I hear that. I definitely hear that. Well, Rev, um, you've got to pick six, seven and eight for the first blood as well. Who, who is it? Uh, Valentini, Hooper and Wilson. Yeah, okay. I, I think, yes, yeah, Cesar's the first one. Um, they just have so much form coming through. And I think as much as we liked uh, what Swinton Nasserani did, I still, I really like that balance. Yep, yep, I hear that. Um, I think that you have a decent argument. Oh, who's on the bench then? You're going to have Nasserani, 
or Swinton on the bench? I, I'd keep nicer Ronnie. I think his impact is a little bit better. I think he's a little bit more useful for lineouts. Um, it was funny before all this happened, I really backed Pete Samu as the number 20 just because I think he can also cover open side better than Swinton and Nicerani can uh, while still giving impact. But uh, they've all proved themselves. So I, I think, yeah, we stick to pretty much the same back row setup we had for the first two tests. Yep, I hear that. Mitch? Hooper, seven. Swinton, six. And Wilson, <gasps> eight. Uh, and who's on the bench then? Valenti- Valentini or Nicerani? Nicerani. I uh, really? I don't so Valentini, I wasn't Valentini. too impressed with Valentini in the first two tests. He was quite passive in his ability to make meters post contact. He, he sort of for me he was going into contact standing too upright, so he was either held up by the French or he was sort of getting turned over quite quickly. He wasn't making meters in the contact. Um, yep. I noticed a few times in this one game that Swinton was making meters post contact, and Valentini just didn't seem to have that influence around the game that that Swinton. Now, Swinton's playing on the edge, and like it or, or not, um, he's a player that does play close to that edge of getting doing something illegal and, and getting a card or, or that kind of thing, but he was involved in everything. And I think a few times in the first two tests, Valentini went missing. Yeah, okay. I can hear that. I, I was really impressed with Swinton's um, contributions to the line-out as well. I thought that he had some really good moments there as a receiver. Uh, I... Personally, I'd be having Valentini at six and Hooper. Well, you're welcome to be wrong. That's fine. Nicerani. <laughs> no, no, no. That's okay. I like your blue glasses there. So well done, mate. Thank you. Um, I also just want to say that it seems that Swinton plays better with Hooper next to yeah. Um, It seems that Hooper's able to keep him in check and keep him focused. And I don't, Yeah, sure I, I don't know if it's necessarily Hooper calming him down. I, I did say this leading into this test series, but I think Rennie has been very influential on his ability to, to play to a certain... Uh, line almost and not step over it yep. I think I think that's one of the things that Rennie's impact has had on on Swinton this game and I think it might have been a lack of leadership or a lack of coaching from the Waratahs for Swinton to give some of those silly penalties and cards away in the later half of Trans-Tasman now, obviously, we've already spoken about Marika's red card. Um, that fundamentally changed the of because it meant that we were down a winger. Filippo Dungunu, was it broke his arm in his, forearm. his first forearm in the first tackle of the game yeah. or his first yeah. involvement? in? The- so we were down our two starting wingers after five minutes. Um, and so, and then we bring Reese Hodge on, who um, I like the guy, but he's not far. Um, and so when we have those two, that, that reality, we just didn't play the ball particularly wide. And so what I actually think is that change or made us adapt in a way that actually benefited the strengths of our team. So the strength of our team, um, in my mind, is our forward pack at the moment. We actually have quite a few of a strong forward pack. And we actually kept it, kept it a lot tighter. And I noticed that it just meant that instead of playing with that width where we'd be trying to play the out the back pass to the 12 to the second receiver and get a bit of width on the play, we were actually just doing little variations off the forward pod. Um, so we'd play it out to the point at the the figureheads, uh, the front runner of the three-man pod who would either do a little pop pass or they'd be flat enough, like we saw within Lodicius pass to Hooper, that he'd be flat enough that the players would be able to receive the ball and get their shoulders through the tackle at the very least. Um, and so I personally really like this game because it showed me that the team can adapt and play differently beyond that helter-skelter, trying to run it wide from any position that we seem to just fall sometimes, but it doesn't seem to be the way that Rennie is trying to coach the team. Um, Rev, thoughts, comments, opinions? Yeah, you're right. I think um, the current red card was so beneficial because it forced us to change. 
And I think in the last match, what we saw was um, they were penalised very differently at the Rock. So because the French were getting away with murder, they kept continuing to it. And the Wallabies just sort of looked stunned but didn't react to it. Mm. This time, they nearly seemed like forced into it out of anger and just the crowd's energy, like just having that many people around them screaming um, <laughs> that, you know, obviously it was the wrong call. Um, they really galvanised and got around it. But something that I really like, and it's been mentioned a bit on um, on Twitter, is this whole idea of a glitch in the matrix. So that bounce pass that um, the French scored off last game, and then we had our own sort of bounce pass from Swinton where Tupo scored a phase later. I think when something this different happens, it throws off both teams, and it really depends on how quickly you react to it. And I think the Wallabies scoring that try in the 10th minute really helped because the French went off their game plan immediately. And even though they ended up scoring off it, when they got a kickable penalty, all series we've seen them kick for the post and play a lot of a territory game when they're not in our half. And because they had a man up the whole game, they really didn't play that same way and it ended up backfiring. So I, I really, yeah, I'm really behind the whole idea of Wallabies reacting positively to this and the French probably conversely not doing so. Yeah, okay. Mitch, any comments you want to chuck in before we keep going? Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting in this game, the fact that we didn't have Marika Corabetti. It almost felt, in some ways, I mean, as we've said, he was so good in those first two tests. But there was a few times that I felt Matt Tamua looked to him too quickly, particularly in the first sort of five or ten minutes of the both of the first two tests. He he got the ball in the center of the field and threw these long, long swooping passes to Corabetti on the wing almost like cutting out his centers and just hoping that Korobedi would do something. And because we didn't have Korobedi or Dalgunu there, we also didn't have Matt Tamua. I feel like our centers actually had a little bit more time with the ball and and, and had the space to, to work against the back line. But we weren't looking for Marika Korobedi to make something from nothing. I think it, it felt to me like Tamua specifically in those first two tests, wasn't confident in Noel Alessio straightening things up. So he was looking for a, a spark player like Marika to do that and play off him. Um, and the fact that both of those players weren't there meant we had to do something different and it worked. I is, is there anybody else that we want to quickly highlight as having a really strong game? Because whilst I do want to move us on to Darcy Swain was phenomenal. To yeah, great. Okay. Phenomenal. So now you guys keep jumping onto that and let's let's just go. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I just thought he was great throughout the whole game. Was he had a real presence at the break at the at the line out and also in the malls. So I it's it's obviously something he gets whatever uh, Dan McKellar's trying to do in the malls, he just gets it. And he's worked with him all the year, all through the this year and last year. So he, he obviously knows what the, the plan is. But Swain was so influential in getting balls against the throw, but also dissecting or or breaking away the French malls, but also being able to to get through and hold the ball up, particularly for that last turnover. Um, for such a young player, I thought he was very, very good and had a big impact on the game. And it definitely seems, I like your mention of Dan McKellar because it seems like a real Brumbies aspect that Laurie Fisher and Dan McKellar have integrated to the side because I know the 2014 season when we were sort of bringing Sam Carter into the frame, that was his role was to try and swim through the rocks and try and disrupt the ball. Uh, Rory Arnold obviously was so good at doing it. I think it really is something that the Brumbies locks have got quite ingrained. And Swain had arguably the best season out of the debutants. So I'd need to look through and make sure. Oh, from being everyone. a penalty mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, before the season, he was the one player I thought would be quite risky to play. And yeah. I thought they'd go um, uh, Philip, Salakai, Loto and Tamani for most of the games, but he proved me wrong. His first impact ever as a Wallaby was um, charging down a halfbacks kick. That's a great thing for a lock to do. His yeah. stolen lineouts already at Test Rugby. He um, secured the win for the Wallabies by, you know, getting that, 
um, turnover at the mall and just stopping all their progress. I thought he had a great campaign. And if he was listening uh, to the first podcast, then I apologize. You're a, you're a legend. <laughs> and if you weren't listening and this you happen to listen to this one, um, I never said anything bad. You're, yeah, I've backed always, you the whole way. Always backed you. Um, yeah, so I think to me, he's probably the big success story out of this. But again, how nice is it to see minutes given to like Angus Bell and Hunter Paisami and Lent Nikitao players that were sort of around the squad or got a few minutes last year but didn't get much. Yeah. You know, now we've got pretty much a full game into Angus Bell across um three games. Paisami's played over two hundred minutes. Like that that's great to just inject these players with that bit of confidence and a bit of experience. I gotta say I think um Marika getting the red card early probably helped both Swain and Swinton to to get the yeah. the fear of getting being that Wallabies player that got carded. So Maybe that that was off uh, away from the back of their minds. They just were able to to play the game in front of them. Like, so we just got to have someone red carded early every match. And like, okay, all right, now boys, now, now we play. Now <laughs> yeah. we play. It's all right. <laughs> I'm not going to be the one that loses this, yeah. this game. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you guys okay if we kind of move and start looking forward? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I just wanted to say one thing around the referees. There's some other decisions that came up in the second half that were just puzzling around oh, yeah. why why they're happening. So the first one is the, the first try to the French where the player elbows Tate McDermott in the throat. Yeah. Um, the thing that frustrates me most about these kind of technicalities is that whenever the Wallabies score in this whole French series, it seemed like the TMO and the, the match officials went through every possible breakdown that they possibly could leading up to it to see that we didn't do something wrong. And most of the time they found something and disallowed it. Now the French do score tries and they don't look at them. There was a the first test they scored two tries off forward passes didn't get looked at. This one they get a they score a try and they elbow Tate McDermott in the throat. We've seen players get yellow cards for much less uh, in the past. So the fact it's just inconsistent refereeing in that we're looking at one team whole like analyzing completely everything that the Wallabies are doing, but not look at French. Um, the and that other takes one, us into the is this a BPA one now? Yeah, the the other one was the the intervention of the TMO in Brendan Pangramosa's try that ultimately got disallowed because of Hunter Paisami's knock on, which yeah. was technically oh. three breakdowns before the try was scored when they're only allowed to to go back two phases. Yeah. And it's just super frustrating because, I mean, I was chatting to some people on Twitter about this, but basically the idea is, yeah, okay, he, he definitely knocked it on. Not not arguing that whatsoever. But the problem is that it was the try was scored the third phase afterwards. And then Hooper, in the comp, in the questioning of the referee afterwards, goes, um, wasn't it too many phases? And the Ben O'Keefe's like, oh, no, the TMOs looked at it. It was within two phases. And it's just fundamentally wrong. Like, you, you can't. That's a factual error that the referee has got and a TMO, re- I guess it's going back, um, has just got wrong. And it's frustrating when we get we get um, the the bad side, rub of the green with the technicalities in that point. But then Tate McDermott gets elbowed in the throat when they're going over for the try. And then that's not even looked at at all. And, and so it's just... There was, other, oh. there was high contacts on Hunter Paisami and Lenny Kittel. Yeah. There was yep. two in, in two or three phases. And he's yeah. called a penalty against it, but he's not looked any further. And Hooper's even said to him, like, are you going to look at that? There's high contact. There. And he gets shooed away. And so <laughs> and he's like, there's 37,000 fans who think differently or something. Yeah, like that. exactly. <laughs> like, but the fact is, why, why are we looking at certain things against the Wallabies, but not for the French? And this isn't something that's just been a, a thing this test series. I feel like it's been a growing theme for Wallabies test for the last probably three or four years. And I don't know why, because... I wouldn't say that we're an out-and-out dirty team 
who plays players off the ball or who does illegal tactics, someone, not me, might say that a team like maybe New Zealand are well known for doing <laughs> things like that. Not me, obviously. Or South Africa. Uh, not me again. But it just feels like, from a refereeing perspective, we're viewed as doing things illegally, so they have to check every single thing to make sure what we do is right. And by doing that, they find things that are wrong, and so they wipe our tries off the board. And it's not just this French series. It happened um, in the some the test series over in Europe a few years ago. It just seems to be this trend that follows teams around. Now, I don't know if that's Michael Hooper's relationship with referees in that they don't necessarily, um, the referees don't like Michael Hooper personally, because I'm not seeing Michael Hooper have great interactions with any referee. There's not been many referees who communicate well with Michael and have jokes and that kind of thing. Um, I don't really know what it is, but it needs to change moving forward. And I hope by Rennie coming out in the press conference and saying some of these things that it does highlight that fact. Because if you look at like the NRL, if there is inconsistencies in refereeing and there, and people can see that there's big mistakes made, there's outcomes from that. Referees get dropped. They go and do learnings. They don't, they're not appointed to this level again, those kinds of things. But in world rugby, in rugby union, it just doesn't seem to happen. Yeah. I Rev, any quick comment on that one before we move on? I think one of the big things is the Wallabies sides of old have been penalised a fair bit, but it's been for things that aren't dirty. I think I'd agree. I don't think we're a very dirty side. I think we've been very guilty of um, being offside or um, lying in rucks through fitness and um, maybe more discipline issues rather than outright um, trying to get some sort of rub. But I'd agree that it seems as if we're not getting many of the 50-50 calls. And I do wonder how much of it is because of my perspective as a Wallabies fan and maybe if I was you know watching the French side as you know um adamantly neutral. as I was the Wallabies yeah or even as a neutral if I was yeah just clocking up the number of penalties and thinking this seems fair or not um because I I think some of the calls could have definitely been checked the Tate one got it didn't it just scream to you the Karevi um card yeah, yeah. that we got against Wales like those sorts of things I'm like again I just love consistency because if that's happening um and this one looked even worse how is that not getting even checked or back for a penalty so yeah um i think you could see with the bpa disallowed try benekeep was quite stern with hooper so i do think hooper probably needs to work on a bit of his cordiality with the um mm. referees just to make sure that he doesn't need to you know go out to dinner and drinks with them but he needs to make sure that they respect him yeah um and that you know he's showing due respect as well because it is a game of relationships um which is quite different to the other codes so i think that's something that you know he'll work on and he already seems to be improving on i will say one super hard though having to talk to the guy that's just given your freaking winger a red card for what looked like a pretty innocuous hit in the fourth minute i will Uh, say one thing around that referee decision as well it it did seem like the french were actually asking ben o'keefe to look at a lot of things when tries when like they all came at the referee there's about four (laughs) of them that were all in his face going knock on knock on knock on knock on so he looked at it but no one from the the Wallabies went up to the referee after that try and said, can we look at the, the head high contact on my player? Hooper did later on on the hits on Ikitao and Paisami, but got told to go away. But I don't know, it just looked like the French were actually highlighting things to the referee and saying, can you check that? Can you please just make sure we're in the try scoring situation? Maybe Hooper didn't do that. All right, I'm giving you guys uh, about a one minute warning. I'm going to ask you to name your back line for the first Bledisloe, um, assuming that uh, everybody is fit. Okay, except for Dungunu because he's just broken his arm, so he oh, won't be fit. Okay. All right, 
So you're going to have to do that. Now, what I just want to kind of do is a bit of a transition. Um, we've got a couple of comments here from Dave Chilton I want to track through. Also, everyone is excited and fair enough after such a gutsy 14-man win to take the series, but I thought we were to average all series against a seriously green and undermanned French outfit. I think we'll get hammered at Eden Park in three weeks. Um, I agree partly. I think Dave's overstating it here. I think he's doing a little bit of a disservice to the quality of this French team. Um, but in saying that, we have not been great for the for game one and great and game two and even in this third match there were some really significant moments of um just just inaccuracy dropping a ball uh not not passing it to the right person at the right time but basic errors of being offside um we let in throughout the game how many penalty kicks did they get uh they got three penalties and three tries and that just isn't good enough so even despite the fact that we won and got the series um there's still some really big areas for improvement uh hugh tyndall says how good rhetorical question what do you think of the changes rennie made to the 23 keep them for blood as low one or bring back wilson etc we kind of spoke about that when we looked at our starting back line interesting question about whether darcy swain starts i probably think bring maddie phillip back in and have darcy swain on the bench um, and I will so just, I want to say on that point, I, I think Darcy Swain had a bigger impact, um, on the set piece. So the mall and the line out that Philip, uh, yeah, maybe I, per- I person, I person, maybe I'd need to go back through and watch one and two. I thought our line out's been really good all campaign. Our line outs um, in general. Yes. But really I didn't good. think that we were very good at actually sacking or dismantling the French mall in the first two tests. And Swain was all over it in that third one. I don't remember comment. Rev, any quick comments on that point? No, I think um, that they both did a decent job. So I think Swain probably had more of a highlights reel, maybe kind of package if we look at the steals and whatnot. But I think Philip was quite industrious. I think his amount of carries and tackles spoke for itself. Okay, let's keep going. So Dave's got another question about um, Tate starting against the All Blacks. Who should we use at 15? Not going to bang. If Jock's fit to start, what happens there? Okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to go through our back line because in my mind, the starting pack is actually pretty, like I'm pretty sure we'd be naming similar one to eight. And I don't think it's that much of a um, controversy. So that's why I'm going to the back line because let's be aware where where games are won (laughs) and lost. Um, So starting... It's won and lost, the backs. Just decide how much. Starting at nine, you've got Nick White. Um, Any disagreement there? Happy with that. Starting at nine. Yeah. Yeah, good. Okay. Now, um, let's go... What I might do is I might go through mine and then let's hear each of ours after that. No comments. We'll just hear ours. So White, uh, James O'Connor... Korobedi on 11, Lola Siu at 12, Paisami at 13, Pataira at 14, Banks. So that's me with Lola Siu getting pushed out to 12, uh, Paisami at 13, Pataira at 14. So, Rev. Gee, that's pretty similar to mine. Um, I want to reward Lola Siu for his efforts. So I'd keep White and Lola Siu as a combo, keep the Brumbies set. Uh, Korobedi at 11, I'd have O'Connor at 12. Um, oh, okay. I think he's just going to be a nice little link play there. Um, Parisi at 13, I want to see him in action. Um, and I, I think we need a wrecking ball. Pasami didn't quite have that. Uh, 50-50 for Pattaya Vinavalu. I'll go Vinavalu because I want a bit of height. I want to see that aerial game. I think having two um, playmakers can do that. And then Banks at 15. Okay. Mitch? Uh, okay. I'll go with White at 9. James O'Connor at 10. Um, I'll go with 12. Lenta- uh, Paisami at 12, like this Who's week. Who's your 11? Who's my 11? Corabetti, surely. Yeah, so every I can pick everyone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone so except we'll go for Corbetti eleven. Corbetti eleven. Len uh Hunter by Sami at twelve. Len yep. Ikatao at thirteen. Ikatao, okay. Yep. yep. 
So Dalgunu's out with his. So who's um, your fourteen? Uh, Basically, Pataya, Funabo, yeah, or Kellaway, maybe. I'll go with Kellaway and Reese Hodge at fifteen. Yeah. Okay. What's the change? What's the change there? Yeah, a few changes there. Um, I would like to be starting Pat- uh, uh, Parisi at thirteen. Um, but I don't want to start him for the Wallabies against the All Blacks for his first test in <laughs> yeah. however many years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, same with Vunavalu. I wouldn't be starting him against the All Blacks either because it only takes a few, it takes one second of doubt for a player like um, Sevi Reese to just pounce or Mwanga to just score straight through if you're just not 110% yeah. on your game. So Now, I, I actually just wanted to expand upon that because for two of the three of us, we've chosen Banks and I understand why you also would consider bringing Hodge in too. For me, Banks actually had a pretty good game three. And he his kicking for touch finders is just so important. I know Hodge can do a good job of that too, but it was it was interesting. During the during the match last night, there were a couple of points where um, Banks got some really good distance on the touch finders and the camera was directly behind him, so you could see the angle that he was working with. And it just reminded me of that his first kick in game two where it just missed by about a meter and you just think if that goes to the right by one meter instead of to the left by one meter then it's an absolutely incredible kick and we've got a good chance of scoring a um uh a mall try from there a pushover try and yet it's just these little things that players are judged upon and i don't think he's been poor enough to drop him and i actually think because of his youth because of his pace and because of the um Attacking threat that he does bring when he's confident, I'd like to persevere with him for a few more games and keep Hodge as a utility back. Um, and I would agree with you if we were coming up against South Africa or Argentina, but the All Blacks will make every single inadequacy a scorable opportunity. And I'm just worried that uh, a player like Banks with a rush defense that the All Blacks have and they can get in your face and they can get in your head as well um, some of these young guys may, potentially might just go into their shells and then they're just out of the game. And that's what we saw in Sydney last year with Olesio at 10. He had a horrible start because, first of all, it was raining, but the All Blacks just pounced on him at every time he got the ball. And I, I would prefer to have a player who's got more experience at test level, who's come up against the All Blacks a few more times, to be able to have that mental resilience when the All Blacks start throwing things at you. To trust in the systems that Dave Rennie has created, but also to be able to have that little bit more maturity as well. Are there any positions of concern then for Bledisloe 1 across the entire team? Rev, is there anybody or any position that you're just worried about our depth? I think my concern, just even doing in this activity, because even looking at the team that I named, I already want to make changes. I want to toss things around because yeah. I think outside of White and Corabetti, there's so many positions that aren't nailed down. And we've got to start looking at that. Is is that because we have two really good options and it kind of doesn't matter who we put there and other positions are more important? Or is it because we don't know who our best is? Mm. And I think for 10, I'm happy with O'Connor or Lola's here. It's my centers that I'm really concerned about. I think we didn't get a game this series where both centers combined really well and looked really... Um, competent as a unit going forward. I think the last game was probably the best. Um, and I'd be happy with Paisami and Ikitao there. But Parisi was sort of the form center at the end of the season. Uh, Pataya's had the most caps out of the other options, so he could fit in there somewhere. Um, and do we see Paisami as a 12 or 13? That, again, depends. Like, um, and on I, we've got Jocko Lolasio in there, and Tamu's obviously played there. So that's my problem area. If Pasami is starting, I'm going to buy him, personally buy him some gloves and say, <laughs> wear these because you can't be dropping those balls anymore. 
hidden yeah. warlock mode. Yep. Yeah, yeah that's a comment mode. that um Cactus Back actually brought up on Twitter. The fact that um it seems to be a bit of a habit of his to be knocking the ball on, kind of like Pattaya was um previously. Pattaya seemed to have an issue with ball retention mm-hmm. as well. Uh, there's also I just wanted to quickly shout out as well, Craig Fitzgerald. Thanks for your question about positions of concern for Bledisloe One, um, and then Gus as well at the Robusto. What's your backline for the first All Blacks game? So thanks for those questions, gents. I'm a little bit um, worried about Hooker. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the interesting thing with that is Gus says, well, who's your pick for Hooker? Sorry, Cactus Back says, who's your pick for Hooker? Now BPA is gone. He's not actually gone. He's not. Le- he doesn't have to leave until after the international. Yeah. Um, his contract with the Reds, I think, I finishes I think he might December. mean like next year. Maybe, Possibly. maybe, but I mean, I'm just thinking rugby champs. So mm-hmm. for rugby champs, stay with BPA. Um, and but then who's the may- second choice? I, I mean, if everybody's back up and healthy again, I'd probably go with Ulysse again, um, just because of the the mass and the strength and, that he brings. But I would have really loved to have seen Pareki get some game time with this yeah. France series, but that is opportunities, and I'm not sure if he'll get many more. I'm going for the um, I'm going to go for the political choice here. And I'll pick Feliti Kaituhu just so that we can have some Western Force fans that are happy. Hamilton How dare you? Supporting the Wallabies again. <laughs> How uh, dare you? Because yeah. he's the best. He's, he's the best hooker we've got in Australian rugby at the moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's good, but he needs to learn how to throw a line out straight. Okay, good. I'm just, I'm just playing the, I'm playing the force card. Uh, you know what? It is a pain for him. I reckon he would have been on the bench ahead of um, Ulysses if I, I would, up I that would, niggle. yeah, I would, I would choose him over Ulysses, but I would yeah, also yeah. choose um, Parecki over him as well. really. Okay, I think that's kind of our issue. I'd, I'd say there's nearly eight hookers in the country that are all you could nearly throw a hula hoop around. Um, their skill level, like they all have different strengths and weaknesses, but at the same point, they're all sort of around that sort of six to seven out of 10. Um, we need someone to step up. Pangramosa has been good, um, but it's not a Mbanambi or a Marks or a Taylor or a Coles. Where's or, Murphy? He's injured at the moment. Is he, so is he's, he injured? Yeah. He's in line to come back for the start of the rugby championship if he's, you know, in the squad. I, I see him and Pareki both playing a similar role to um, BPA has this too, like uh, of this series where he sort of stayed on the wing for a lot of those attacks, but Pareki and Mafia are both quicker than BPA. So that might be something that is beneficial. They just have to try and make up for the um, bulk because BPA, size. like Yalesi is, it's yeah, huge. they're both sort of those 115 plus uh, hookers, which is pretty handy or 112 maybe plus hookers. Uh, whereas Pareki and Mafia, they're both, you know, a bit fitter. Mafia um, in particular has so much pace. He'd be a great asset to the team. Yeah, I think the benefit that BPA bring to our scrum, like I'm just loving our forward dominance right now. Our, at the very least, we are even, and the majority of the time, we're ahead of the opposition in terms of scrum and lineout combinations, which is yeah. rare for a Wallabies team to be able to be proud of. Um, but it's bloody fantastic. So Douglas Gardner comments, how good to see the transformation of our forward pack over the last couple of years into a legitimate world-class across all aspects of the game. That, in my opinion, might be overstating it a bit, um, but that no, doesn't take away money. from... He's on the money. <laughs> Same with Feliti being the best hooker in Australia. Yeah. Um, so, look, guys, we... We've been chatting for a long time. There's been a lot of good stuff to talk about. I might just kind of leave it open here for your final thoughts. Jerry Springer, S, um, are there any final comments you want to make about this game, about this series that uh, kind of round things up? I'll hear from both of you, then I'll provide my own and we'll wrap things up. So, Mitch, let's go to you first and then Rev.
rev jump in straight up. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that we won this series. And I think it the mental learnings that the Wallabies will get out of this series and this victory will be massive. And I think it will really help shift them in a different direction going into the rugby champs. I'm not necessarily going to say that we're going to go out there and win the rugby champs. I still think particularly the Bledisloe is going to be a massive mountain for us to climb. But we're trending the right way and I'm, I'm happy to see that. I'm really liking what the 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 players themselves are actually saying after this game and, and talking about trusting in the system, uh, having belief in the in the mission and, and playing for people and playing for the jersey and bringing pride back. It's great to see that Rennie has has put that back in the, the front forefront of the players' minds that they're actually playing for Australia and they're doing this for the country, which is great to see. My biggest worry about the rugby champs moving forward now is that Tupo, who has been scrummaging with the same pair of boots for the last four years, has now given them away <laughs> and his ascendancy at the scrums might no longer exist because he has to get a completely new set of boots. That's pretty uh, rev. I think uh, probably three things. I'll try and go through them quickly. I think Rennie's picked 39-man squad with three ring-ins. So with 42 players across three games, 11 days, he only used 27. I think that's a really great signal in the fact that he knows what his best team looks like and he's just sort of doing the fine sort of tooth comb through that just to really... Uh, net that down once the injuries not come in. So that's a great start. I think secondly, um, we do need to be realistic with rugby uh, rugby championship expectations. I think we can all learn from how we went from Super Rugby AU to Trans-Tasman, uh, where we were so happy to be winning because we were versing other Aussie sides. And the Reds look great. The Brumbies look great. Uh, Force looks really improved. Waratahs look great. Uh, <laughs> Waratahs had six players look great. And um, yeah. <laughs> that's kind. <laughs> that, six. Six. That's, oh, six. Yeah. I reckon I could count six. Um, but I, I think the thing is we need to realise New Zealand is the benchmark still in terms of depth. Um, South Africa are the current world champions. They still have a ridiculously strong starting, um, well, sorry, best 23. We shouldn't expect to come away with wins just because we beat this French side. Mm. And it'd be great to get some wins, but we shouldn't expect it. And the last bit, and this bit I think is really key because it happened after Super Rugby U as well. Going on Twitter, I was stoked to see the likes of Andy Lee retweeting a Wallabies win. Ah. Yeah. Uh, flight facilities, like we're getting musicians involved. Uh, Sterling Mortlocks, we've got ex-players. We've got Andy Good, so like English players. And Israel Dag got um, involved as well. And um, Fitzy as well from Fitzy and Whippershaw. I don't know how big of a claim to fame that is. But, you know, like we're getting he people. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they're all. Eddie McGuire all... as well. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like we're getting people that aren't rugby related uh, or aren't Wallabies related sharing this stuff mm, and really yeah. like buying into it. And I think that's yeah. so important that we've got um, not just, you know, your rust on supporters involved, but we've got people that don't know what a ruck is sharing on this Wallabies team. And that's and, yeah, undeniable and on that as well. Of like, so many people uh, I saw on my social media that aren't Wallabies or rugby fans that are going off about the red card. <laughs> I was like, you don't even understand what's happened, but I'm just, I'm loving that you're watching this. Loving the interaction. Yeah. And it, it adds that extra element or that extra part of the conversation around a, a winning Wallabies leads to the growth of rugby in Australia. And it's a really hard conversation to have when we're talking about grassroots support, when we're talking about um, alignment between different levels of rugby within Australia overall. But I think that the more opportunities we have to improve the quality of the Wallabies is we, we've got to take them all on board, which is why the idea of expanding the rugby championship, I think, needs to seriously be looked at and considered. Because, I mean, if we can have an opportunity to play... and 
I hope this doesn't come across as arrogant, but my expectation would be if Japan and Fiji are coming, we would be winning three out of four games against them. Um, they, they may well take a few games of us, off us here and there, but overall, my expectation would be that we had more chance for winning as well. And everybody loves a winner. It's the simple truth of it. Um, we need to be winning to draw the fans back and to be getting more support and publicity investment to the game. But that's not what I'm meant to be talking about right now. <laughs> um, my kind of moving forward, I want to see this be a bit of a turning point in terms of the growth and maturity of the team. Um, it seems that after the Corumbetti red card, there was this acknowledgement of here are the constraints that we have to play in because of the um, red card. And we are now going to adapt to that and play this game well. And they did. And I would love to see them then kick on into the rugby championship or the Bledisloe and then the rugby championship, just, just taking incremental improvement within each game trying to play smart and trying to play tactical and trying to play what people just call test rugby, test footy, where you're playing for territory, trying to exploit pressure, the opposition, create mistakes, and then exploit those errors. I don't seem to see enough of that. We don't seem to be willing to maintain pressure and then exploit opportunity that come up because we're often the ones making those mistakes to begin with. Mm. So I just want to see those small bits of improvement. I'm not expecting us to win a rugby championship whatsoever. Um, hopefully, get one game or two games off the All Blacks and then win the Argentina games. And I don't even know what to say with South Africa because I don't know what it's going to be like for them. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just want to see incremental improvement. And that's my thought. Cool. Uh, how do we feel about finishing up there, gentlemen? I think we need to. We've been going for a Sounds while. Good. It has long been a while. Pod. It's a long pod, but hey, it's a series win. So we're going to do it. So thank you everybody for getting with us to this point. It has been an absolute pleasure and privilege to be here with you. Mitch, it's been a pleasure. Rev, it has been it a pleasure. And to everybody, good night, farewell, and for all the fish. Catch you next Bye. week. Bye. Bye.